0: back in your Bibles to Luke chapter 8, and from that section, really from verse 4, Luke chapter 8, from verse 4 through to verse 15. This morning, as we continue in our studies in the gospel according to Luke, what happens is that actually we encounter, believe it or not, something new. Today, something fresh, something different. This morning, uh, we come to the very first of the many parables, parables that Jesus used in his earthly ministry. So if you've been here for the sermon series, yes, it's true that we have noticed and seen some mini illustrations, little mini illustrations that Jesus has used. But this is actually the first time that we get to a major parable Uh, of our Lord in his earthly ministry, certainly according to Luke's gospel. So the first of the parables, but before uh, you and I try to get into and wrestle with the uh, specifics of this particular parable and this story at hand, I think it's worth us just pausing to consider parables in general. And for us, today this morning to have maybe just a slightly longer introduction where we just address this matter. (laughs) Uh, Why does Jesus speak in parables? I mean, parables are, are quite unusual. Why does our Lord use parables so frequently? Why does he speak like this? So that's the plan. A slightly extended introduction and that before we get into the specifics of this particular parable. But before we take one more step forward, before we do anything else, uh, let's join together in prayer. Let's ask God for help this morning. Let's pray together as a church. Lord God, uh, Chris has uh, prayed rightly that our greatest need is to hear from the voice of our God. And so this morning... Uh, we ask that that would be the case. We trust, uh, Lord God, in you. And we long to hear from you. And our prayer would be this. Lord, please show us your glory that we might return praise to you. And we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Okay, so an introductory matter then. We get it, don't we? Why does Jesus speak in parables? Why the, What the purpose of these parables? Well, I was brought up um, attending a Sunday school, and it was a Sunday school in a church of Scotland right in the heart of Inverness. Okay, and when I look back in that, I recall really quite vividly being told the following about parables and the parables of Jesus. Now, I'm going to say this to you, I want you just now to, to think about it and reflect back is this something that you've heard? in the past, okay? You think about that. See if this rings bells. So I'm a little kid, uh, and I would ask the Sunday school teacher in that congregation, I would ask, why did Jesus use these parables? Why did Jesus use these stories? And what we would be told is this, that Jesus used parables to explain really difficult truths in more simple ways, Okay, so I was told that growing up a lot, I was told that Jesus used stories that were filled with familiar language in the first century, right? You know, agricultural language, language from nature. And Jesus did this to make really quite tough spiritual matters more accessible to, look, first century peasants and first century fishermen. Did you did you hear the same thing growing up? Have you heard that in the past? Well, um, Unfortunately, I suppose that is not quite uh, right. And this morning, uh, I want to put before you two reasons that Jesus speaks in parables, and these are reasons that we find directly in this text of Holy Scripture. So here's the question, why did Jesus use parables? Right, answer number one from this text. Jesus did this to, wait for it, to conceal, to conceal the salvation of the kingdom of God. Jesus spoke in parables to conceal the salvation of the kingdom of God. You think with me for a moment about cryptology. Think about secret codes from World War Two. Like, I think everyone, we've all heard of the enigma machine everybody's heard of the the enigma machine i i I wonder if you've heard about the sagaba machine have you heard of that this was used by the allies uh, in world war ii and it was used to send messages between high command okay sagaba machine some of you have heard of that i'm sure sending messages between high command what's the obvious thing what was the nature of those messages these messages were encrypted weren't they of course they were encrypt why Because they didn't want the enemy to be able to decipher the content of these messages. Well, believe it or not, really, Christian friends, that's what we're dealing with here this morning with these parables. I wonder if we could put up verse 10, or if you look at the second half of verse 10. So skip through to the second half of verse 10. So we're asking Jesus, Jesus, why are you speaking in parables? Why this? And really, he's saying to us, listen to this. He's saying, Seeing, they may not see. And hearing, they may not understand. Now, a lot of you know what Jesus is doing there, do you? You know that he's actually quoting, and he's quoting from Isaiah chapter 6. Now, what was that? Come on, Isaiah 6. That's the context in the 8th century BC, which wasn't yesterday. But it's a context where the word of God was consistently going out, and the word of God was consistently being rejected, and so what did God do? Do you know what God did? He withdrew his light, and now the preaching from Isaiah the prophet, the preaching of God's word would be something that actually desensitized people. The preaching would be something that that dulled people's understanding. And wait a minute, what is Jesus saying here? He's saying the same thing is true with the parables of our Lord. Please listen. One reason that Jesus used stories that were not immediately understandable was actually to keep from people heavenly truths. To keep from people heavenly truths. Parables were almost a form of judgment and a form of judgment uh, over unbelief. What, what do you think of that? Suddenly, these parables are not as fluffy and nice, are they? They're not just the nice little Sunday school stories that we often think of them as being. So number one, why, do, why, why does Jesus speak in parables to conceal the salvation of the kingdom of God? There, there's number one. Number two, the second of the two reasons, why does Jesus use parables? Number two, two <laughs> reveal the secrets of the kingdom of God, to reveal secrets of the kingdom. Because there is another side, isn't there, uh, to the cryptology of World War II. The Allies, they didn't just send encrypted messages to frustrate the enemy, did they? They didn't just encrypt the codes and encrypt all these messages just to annoy the enemy. No, they wanted to communicate really special information they had. They needed, they did this because they, they had this classified material that they needed to pass to people on the same side as them. And though I think, personally speaking, it's often overlooked, that's what Jesus Christ is doing in his parables. Now, you've got verse 10 in front of you, one way or the other now, don't you? It's on the screen behind me. I think it is, Yes or it's in your hand. We've looked at the second half of verse 10. Now look at the first half of verse 10. Now the the key thing to keep in mind just now is Jesus' audience. So he had been speaking to the crowd, this vast crowd. Now he's just speaking to his disciples. He's speaking to his people. And what does he say? We're asking Jesus, why parables? And he says, because, as he looks to his people, Because to you, it has been given to know the secrets of the kingdom of God. Why parables? And Jesus cries out, he who does have ears to hear, let him hear. Do you see, Jesus uses parables not just to hide things from people, but he uses them actually to communicate special things, to communicate truth. If you hear anything, get this. Listen, why parables? What are they? Parables are the vehicles that Christ uses to transport heavenly truths. The vehicles that Christ uses to transport heavenly truths to, to, to those who by God's grace belong to Jesus Christ. A vehicle that Christ uses to take, to take heavenly, beautiful truths to those who by God's grace have been granted spiritual discernment. That's why Jesus used parables. Now, as our uh, uh, American friends might say at this point, okay, fine, but what's the takeaway? Where's the the rubber hit the road for St. Peter's Free Church with, with, with this, with parables? Well, for that, I just really briefly want to take you back to your childhood or to an idyllic childhood. Let's say you're seven or eight years old. Can you remember that far back? And let's say it's your birthday party, okay, you're seven years old, and it's just you're having, and it's the most idyllic birthday party, and all your friends are there, and they're actually being nice, and they're behaving, and everyone's having fun. It's great, you're having the best time of your life, and just at the peak of all of this, your dad stands up, (laughs) your dad's there in the midst of it all, and your dad's, stands up and makes an announcement. What does he say? Everyone's looking at him. And your dad promises that coming up is going to be the best treat of the lot. You might have had great treats, but wow, there is a surprise coming. And all your friends hear that and everyone's buzzing and everyone's, what's it going to be? What's this treat going to be? And then your dad does this. Your dad puts his arm around your shoulder and he takes you aside and to you alone, he reveals the, the upcoming treat. Like your dad stoops down and he whispers in your ear and he tells you alone what's coming. How, as a seven-year-old, are you feeling? Now, not now, but like as a seven-year-old, you're feeling so special, aren't you? Like you're, you're feeling so privileged. You're entrusted. And it just, just bonds you. There's a closeness with your dad and if you are a Christian this morning, don't you see that's what we're dealing with here today? Just now, it is to the saints at St. Saint Peter's that Christ says this. To you, he says, to you it has been given to know the secrets of the kingdom of God. To those in here who are born again, to you it has been given to know the secrets. You know, as you come to a, a parable of Scripture, what is happening? Listen, as you come to a parable, what's happening is that your heavenly Father, He comes and puts you aside, takes you aside. He whispers to you heavenly, heavenly truths. And so, what do you do? What do we do? I long that this is what we do from this day forward to the end of your life, if you're a Christian. Every time you encounter a parable, you sit up and you take note because why is this special? Well, what's happening here? In these things, in these parables, Christ is sharing with you the classified material of the kingdom of God. These are the parables. Okay, so a longer, much longer introductory matter. The purpose of the parables. Okay, fine. I guess the question that we're faced with next is probably quite obvious, isn't it? Because we ask, okay, fine. This is why Jesus speaks in parables. But what of this one? Like, what of this particular story that we have here? What about that? Like, you see, don't you, that the parable of the sower, it's okay, it's familiar, you know it. But in many ways, the parable of the sower is the mother of all uh, parables that we have in the Bible, in the sense that it's the first of the parables in the gospel according to Luke, but it's more than that as well. The parable of the sower is the one that is repeated more often in the gospels. It's the the big one. It's the mother of the parables. So, what is it? I mean, what are we dealing with here? Well, in a congregation like this, you're all switched on, I'm sure. We can all get the overall picture of the parable of the sower, can't we? I mean, it's a crowd, and it's a, it's a vast crowd, that's emphasized. As they come to Jesus, Jesus teaches them, and he uses an image, and it's an image of a farmer. Like, Can you picture the farmer? Like he's walking back and forward, isn't he? And he is sowing sprinkling from this bag of seed he has. And as Jesus explains later to the 12, not only is this seed representative of the Word of God that's going out, but these four landing places, four landing places for the seed, they represent, they represent people's response to that Word. So has everybody got it? Are we all grasping it? This morning, what is Christ teaching our church about? He's teaching us of the four responses that people can have to the preaching of the gospel. I believe that these are the four responses that will happen this morning in this place. It's the four responses that happen often, maybe always, to the preaching of the gospel. So what are they? (laughs) Okay, number one, we are taught of a hard-hearted response to the preaching, a hard-hearted response. So if, you're, if you've got your driving license, some of you do, mostly you do. If you're, if you're driving around Tayside, this is not something that you are going to encounter. It's not something you're going to see. And if you're driving around Angus or a bit further afield again, it's not something that you encounter. But in the ancient world, if you were moving about the ancient world, and if you looked into the fields, what you would see would be obvious pathways that dissected the land. We don't have that sort of thing so much now because of all the technology and all the machinery we have. But if you looked into the land and looked into the fields in in the ancient world, you would see clear footpaths of solid, impacted earth. Now... If you're on the ball, you see that Jesus mentions these as the first landing place for the seed. But what happens to the seed as a result of that? Did you pick up on it? What happens? You notice, yes, the seed, it sits on top of the impacted earth. So the seed doesn't get into the soil. The seed does not germinate. It sits on the top of this impacted earth. But what's the result? Do you notice that the seed is therefore left exposed and exposed to birds? Jesus speaks of these birds that, that swoop in and they, they grab the seed and they carry it off. Now, I think I'm grateful to Jesus because I think as an image, that is a very straightforward image. You can see the birds sweeping in. We get it, that's fine. But do you get the lesson? do you see what we're being taught about here? Like, I, I think, yes, we're introduced to a spiritual reality that we are so familiar with. It's the reality, isn't it, that as the words of the gospel goes out time and time again, very often it is met by the hardest of hearts. That's surely part of it, isn't it? Like it's, it's a reality that we're familiar with. It's a reality that like, honestly, people can sit under gospel ministry and it can be a variety of different ministers and they can sit under gospel ministry for decades. And they can really, they can sit under gospel ministry from the day they were born to the day they die. And for some people, they remain entirely unaffected. That impacted path. That soil, yeah, that's here. Our Lord is speaking to us about that. But is there not something here for us that is even more sinister? Like, do you see verse 12? Well, please look at it. Out. Now, I, I, I just ask you, St. Peter, who is represented by those birds The sweeping in to steal this away? do you think about it? Do you see? Jesus speaks to us about the devil. I wonder if that is something you would consider this morning. I wonder if it's something you have considered in the path. I think it's something that we need to wake up to at St. Peter's, honestly. We are being taught by the Lord Jesus that the evil one really is active every time the word of God is preached. Have you thought about that? Have you, how did you come to church this morning? What was, the, what was your thought process? Did you realize you were coming into a, a true and proper spiritual battle? That as the word goes out, Sunday morning by Sunday morning, Sunday evening by Sunday evening, what's happening spiritually? But Satan and his accomplices, his minions, Satan is active. To do what, Christian friend? Like the devil's active to try and distract people and to try and build up bitterness in people and to try and actually remove, withdraw people, lest they hear from God and, and believe and return to Him, worship. Something that Satan hates. And, and and I want to suggest that this is something that should drive you immediately to pray. And to pray for yourself and to your family, but pray for for the other people in in this room. And In fact, if you'll allow it, let me suggest that the the most elementary and basic practical response to this, I, I would urge you, I think I've mentioned it in the past, but I'd urge you again, every time you're leaving your home to come to church on a Sunday morning or Sunday evening, stop yourself, momentarily stop yourself, And in that moment of leaving the house, pray and seek your household. Gather them around you. Get your spouse there and get your children there or or the students. Get your flatmates there. As you're going out to church, stop and pray. And in light of this, for what do you pray? You surely plead with God to help St. Peter's in the preaching of the gospel Help, O God, help us to resist the evil one that he might flee from us. We see a hard-hearted response. Two, we see a hollow-hearted response. (laughs) Hollow-hearted. So just a few days ago, actually, uh, I was speaking to a member of the congregation. This is a, a person who will remain nameless, Uh, But a person who has got very green fingers and is a bit of a gardening expert, which whittles the the options down (laughs) quite a bit, I'm sure. But this person, she was telling me um, about her first act when she moved into her house. Okay, so she and her family knew that what they were going to do in this house, they were going to plant, right? They were going to go to town in this garden. So what was the first act? Well, they moved in, and what they did was de-stone the soil. Maybe you've done that in the past yourself, right? Uh, So get rid of all the boulders, get rid of all the the big stones in order to sort of get the soil ready for planting. Well, as Jesus talks about the second seed that lands where? The rocky places. Do you know, if you're anything like me, that's the picture you might have in your mind, the the rocky... But that wouldn't be right, actually, So, the idea here is less about, you know, soil that's filled with stones and pebbles and rocks. That's not the image here. It's less that, and it's much more the idea of a thin layer of soil that's lying on top of the actual, you know, the proper bedrock. You see, just maybe just a few centimeters of soil. It looks the same as the other soil, but it's lying on top of the limestone bedrock. And what happens? Okay, the plant shoots up pretty quickly. What's the issue, though, friends? Because of the lack of soil, because of the lack of moisture, when the sun comes out, this plant that shot up quickly, this plant begins to wither, doesn't it? And this plant begins to die. Hopefully, again, you get the picture more crucially. Uh, Do you get the parallel, Christian friend? I'll take, a, I'll take a breath. Uh, our Lord is speaking to us about superficial professions of faith, isn't he? The reality that when the gospel of God goes out, sometimes people really do respond very, very favorably. People sometimes respond with joy. Joy. And respond very well but what happens as testing and trials come into their life the emptiness of their profession faith is exposed as trials come in testing and what does that trial do that causes the person's profession to wither and to fall and to to die and i'm, I'm not going to cry <laughs> that would embarrass my children and it would embarrass you And it would embarrass me. But it is the hardest thing to witness in the Christian life. Isn't it? If you've been a Christian for years, isn't it tough? Isn't it something you've seen? I'll tell you, it's something I've seen time and time again in Christian ministry. I've seen men, not here, but I've seen men who are just... So apparently filled with joy in Jesus and filled with like, you know, apparent Christian maturity, that congregations have moved to appoint those men to, to eldership in the church, and then just in the blink of an eye, these these men fall away, and their, their profession seems to come to nothing. And young women and young men, and they seem so enthused with the gospel that. It's it's going to be full time Christian work from this point onwards. Only for trials to come in their life, and and very often the trial of singleness. And the trials come, and then the, the profession and the pursuit of Jesus Christ it falls and it and it withers, and it's so sad. And and what do we do? Surely, what we do is the same as before and something like that, does that not drive you to pray? Must we not pray? And we pray for those people that you can think of just now who have fallen away. Don't give up praying for them. But we must also pray for ourselves, lest we be given to pride for what does our Lord say to us in Mark chapter 13, verse 13? He says it is the the one who endures to the end. It is only he who will be saved. Third, we see a half-hearted response, a half-hearted response. Um, If I was to mention to you um, the metaphor of a frog in boiling water, then I think most of the congregation know exactly. I don't really need to unpack that, what what I'm talking about in that metaphor. It's quite a common illustration, don't you agree? Uh, For those who don't know, uh, it's great, but the, the idea is that if you place a frog into really, really hot water, the frog is going to bounce out pretty quickly out of that water. But if you place a frog into cold water and you gradually turn up that heat, the frog apparently haven 't tried this, so. but if you put the frog into cold water and you turn up the heat then and you do it gradually, the frog does not apparently realize until it is too late what what 's the metaphor what 's the idea? I suppose it is to make us aware of the danger of gradual threat, and more subtle threats. Well, is that not what you come to next here? Because Jesus now speaks of a a third seed that grows up amongst thorns that choke the plant, and yes, Jesus shows you that this represents the danger that, that cares and pleasures and riches pose to your reception of the gospel, that's true, but what strikes you if you look at verse 14, what strikes you? Can you skim read verse 14? I, 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 it's, maybe, it's maybe ironically subtle, but these people who are choked by the cares and the riches that are the pleasures of life, they are choked, and here's the phrase, "As they go on their way they're choked by these things as they go on their way. Do you see? It's the idea of a subtle danger to our reception of the good news. Like perhaps a person responds really well to start with. Perhaps there's this grand profession of faith in, in Jesus Christ. Things start out well, but as they go on, what happens? Other cares come in. And they begin to overshadow the Christian life. They begin to overshadow discipleship. And Jesus makes clear, these can be good things, can't they? Like, what is it that could overshadow? It could be a career, couldn't it? A job. It could be house renovations. It could be nice things like holidays or spending time with family. All of these good things. But what happens? They begin to take number one priority in, in life. They begin to overshadow. They begin to choke spiritual life and to mix metaphors. Where does the person end up? The seed ends up in boiling water because of the gradual, subtle threat of these things. Friend, as you hear Jesus in verse fourteen there, what strikes you? As I was reading it, I was laughing because it seems so pertinent to St Peter's Free Church. I mean, if you can see, I think if Jesus has to warn first-century peasants about the dangers of materialism and the subtle dangers, first-century fishermen, how much more? As a congregation in 21st century Dundee, how much more do we not need to take note? And then the last, the fourth thing. We've seen hard-hearted response to the word of God and a hollow-hearted and a half-hearted and hallelujah, hallelujah. We come fourthly to a whole-hearted response. And you can see what I'm saying, hallelujah, can't you? I mean, is there not a sense of relief? I mean, there's a lot of negative responses that Jesus has confronted us with to the preaching of of the good news and the word of God going out. And and so we're wiping our brow and we are very relieved that he ends with a positive response uh, to to the word of God. Now, I guess, yeah, I guess we could linger on what Jesus says about how that word is ideally received. Now, I wonder if you noticed the language as Chris read it out. Ideally, Christ speaks about that word as it goes out being held fast. The ideal is your two hands grabbing this and the language is grabbing it with a heart of patience and a good heart. We could linger on that. But instead, I just want you to notice the yield. <laughs> In fact, I want to call it, if we look at verse 8, I might be contradicted here and I might be wrong. But I want to call it a miraculous yield. Look at the numbers. Look at Do the math. I think certain farmers of St. Peter's, they, they maybe can correct me if I've got this wrong later on. But there can't be that many crops that promise a hundredfold yield. Right? And look at it. This is what the Lord Jesus Christ is, is promising here for, in a good reception, a right reception of the gospel. And don't you agree that the picture that Jesus paints for us is absolutely, beautiful, isn't it? The preaching of the gospel is so embraced here that it produces a veritable orchard before us of spiritual fruit isn't that right a hundredfold yield growing up this beautiful orchard an abundance of love and joy and peace and patience and kindness and all this spiritual fruit with the word being received it is beautiful isn't it let me bring things to a close by doing something very very straightforward and simple yes Let me pose two questions for each of you in this room. Two questions with which we end. Number one, now you've heard the parable of the sower. Perhaps you've heard this parable a thousand times before. First question, would you consider which of the landing places for the seed you truly are this morning in here? Which soil... Are you? Would you actually give some time and prayer to consider that? Have you so received the gospel of God that there is spiritual fruit showing from that in your life? Have you? Are you hard hearted, hollow hearted, half hearted, or truly, by the grace of God, whole hearted? That's question one. Please consider that. And then question two why? is this important? I wonder if you're maybe even asking that question yourself. Maybe you're new. Maybe you're joining us. Maybe you're just a student looking to meet other students. Maybe you're joining online. But maybe you're asking this morning, well, why is this theme so important that Jesus begins his parables with this of all the themes that Jesus could speak about and give us, power. like, why is this repeated? That Why is the preaching of the gospel so important? Let me answer that. The preaching of the gospel is so important because here, you get to hear good news. You get to hear the best of news. and the preaching of the gospel, you don't just get to hear about God's goodness You get to hear about his grace of an undeserved favor that is available. You get to hear about the provision of a savior from sin. And who is he? The eternal son of God. But what has he become? He has become a seed. The seed of the woman who will crush that evil one, that serpent's head. And above all, why is it important? Because in the preaching of the gospel, you hear about a solitary cross. You get to hear about a sacrifice, a death that deals with sin. In fact, wait, how would Jesus speak about that? As he thinks about the cross, as he works his way towards Calvary to atone for sin, what is the other farming imagery that Jesus uses? You know it, don't you? Jesus thinks about the cross and says, unless a seed, and unless that seed falls to the ground and dies, it remains only a single seed. But if it dies, it produces much. Why is the preaching of the gospel so important that Christ starts here? Why? Because in the gospel, we hear a message of life and not just life, life eternal, Is there anything else left to be said? Oh, one last thing. He who has ears to hear, let him hear. Friends, let's bow our heads and let's pray.